Well, good evening. Good to see you guys tonight. Uh, tonight we're back in the book of First Peter. We're back in the book of First Peter, and we're in a series through the book of First Peter entitled Exiles. Uh, we talked a little bit about what it means to be an exile last week, and we're going to continue with that series this week, uh, looking at how we are to live in this world as exiles. And Tonight, uh, I've entitled this message, or really the, the question and title that we're going to be answering is, what does it take to live holy lives? What does it take to live holy lives? We'll talk about what that is, and we'll talk about what it takes to do that this evening. First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21. It's going to be our text for this evening. So let me read that. We'll go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive into the message. Beginning in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." If you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this evening and this opportunity to gather together once again as the church, to open your word, to learn from it, and to learn what it looks like for us to be holy and how we can do that. God, as we work through this text as we leave from here tonight help us to remember what we've learned God speak to each one of us tonight so that we might take this message and apply it to our life and this we pray in Jesus name amen well Ansel Adams was born just after the turn of the 19th century and and if you aren't familiar he was a musician he was a writer he was a teacher he was an environmentalist he was a photographer photography was his passion photography was his life's work that, that's that's how I know about Ansel Adams uh, because through his photography and that's what he's most known for he grew up on the West Coast and primarily photographed that area. And with his most popular work being centered around the national parks, particularly Yosemite National Park. Um, you can go and look at a number of his photographs from that park, just Googling, and all of these images will come up uh, that he has taken. And, and over the course of his, his life, he has really produced a large body of, of work, work that is admired, work that's copied work that is shown, work that's, that's sold even today. And people are attracted to Adams because you know, what he has produced is different. What he has produced is, is unique. There, there's something that just, it sets him apart from the masses. And just as Adams' work is set apart, as Christians, we are to be set apart. In other words, we should live lives that are distinct. We should live lives that are different. We should live lives that are holy. 
And that's exactly what it means for us to be holy. Holy means that that we are set apart. means that we are different. And as Christians, we should be holy. We should be set apart. Now, we have to ask the question, why is that? You know, why are we to be holy? Well, right out of the gate, we learn that we are to be holy because God is holy. So look at the text with me, verses 15 and 16. It says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, Peter is going back to the Old Testament and Peter is pulling a text from there and he's saying, look, you guys are believers in God. You guys are believers in Jesus who is God. And he's saying, look, God is holy. God is different. God is set apart. You are to be holy because your God is holy. You are to be set apart because your God is set apart. You aren't to be like everyone else. You are to be like God. God is righteous. God is pure. God is set apart from this world. You are to be set apart from this world. Listen to what one commentator says. Therefore, instead of conforming to this age, the Christian is to conform to God. God is the one who is holy, by which his being and actions are described as as other than, as higher than this fallen world. The calling is a calling to God and therefore to separation from the way of life of this age. And so as Christians, we are to be different. We are to live differently. We are to be distinct. And our distinctiveness is drawn from God himself. And so so we don't just look at the culture and we don't just say, okay, how can I live differently? This is why people people do this all the time. We call it an alternative lifestyle. Right? You, you, you look at the world and you say, the world has short hair, I have long hair. The world doesn't dye their hair crazy colors, but you know what? I want to be different than the world, so I'm going to dye my hair crazy colors. The world dresses a certain way, well, I don't want to be like the world, so I'm going to dress a different way. People look at that and people say, I want to be different from the world. I want to be set apart from culture. Well, well, that's not what we're talking about here, right? I'm not just saying you guys go out and dye your hair crazy colors and wear all kind of crazy clothes and things like that. That's not the type of set apart that I'm talking about. Instead, what we do as Christians, as believers, is we're holy because God is holy. And so we must look to God and we must say, how is God holy? And we want to be like God. And so where do we learn that? Where do we learn that? We learn that in God's word. We learn that by reading and studying and meditating on God's word. And that leads me to the second point here. What must we do to live as God's holy people? What must we do to live as God's holy people? Well, first, and I've already hinted at it, we must read, we must study, we must meditate on God's word. God's word should not be this book that just sits on the shelf. God's word should lay open in our hands on a daily basis. It shouldn't be something that, that, that's collecting dust. It shouldn't be something that sits in our car and you know what, it's Sunday or it's Wednesday night. Let me grab that book that I haven't opened all week and let me take it into church because that's what I'm supposed to do. And everybody thinks that I've read my Bible because I have it with me. That's not how we should treat God's word. That's not what God's word should be. Yes, God's word can be difficult to understand at times. It does take work, but we are called to know who God is and God has given us this book so that we might know who he is. 
Right? We talk about general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is, is the world screams that there is a creator. The world screams that there is a God. Just look at things all around and you have to know that someone designed this, someone created it. But it doesn't tell us that Jesus is our savior. We have God's word that does that. We have God's word that he has given to us in special revelation to tell us who he is, to tell us who Jesus is, to tell us who we are, to tell us why this world is so messed up, to tell us how we might be saved and where everything is going. And so we look to God's word and we read God's word so that we can know who God is and we can know how God wants us to live. And so that's the first thing. If we're gonna be holy people, if we're gonna live set apart lives, we need to know what God expects of us and we have to go to his word in order to do that. Second, we see that if we want to live holy, set-apart lives, we must prepare our mind for action, set in our hope fully on God's future grace. We've got to prepare our minds for action, set in our hope fully on God's future grace. So look at verse 13 with me. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, now look, at, look at where this sentence starts. So verse 13, the very first word, therefore. And I know you probably heard this before. When, when you hear therefore, you got to ask what it's there for. I'm going to continue that cliche uh, because it's appropriate. So we need to ask, what is it there for? Why, what, is, what is Peter, what does the writer of this text want us to look back to? That's most oftentimes when you see therefore, it wants you to look back. And here we, we look back to what we learned last week. We look back and we see, you know, who we are, and how we have become who we are. And last week, remember, we learned that, that we are God's elect exiles. You know, God has, has specifically chosen us. God has specifically elected us to be his people. And then he has worked in our life so that we might become that. The Spirit has come. The Spirit has, has changed our heart. He has changed our desires. The Spirit has worked in our lives so that we will see a necessity and a need for God. Now, before that, we were enemies of God. We didn't want God. We didn't care about God. We didn't want anything to do with God. Until so the Spirit comes and works in our life and our desires and our heart, all of those things change. And our mind changes. And now we want God. We want the things of God. We want to live according to God's word. And Peter's saying, look, remember who you are. Remember how you got there. Remember also what God has promised, that you have an inheritance that is not gonna go away. God is guarding it in heaven. And he's also working faith in your life so that you will continue to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior until the day that you die or he comes back, whichever comes first. So we are to remember that. And he says, because of all of that, knowing that we are God's children, knowing that we are elect exiles, knowing that we have an inheritance that is not going away, he says, prepare your minds for action. Or the text literally reads, some in, some, some in your Bibles, it probably has a little one right there and you can go down and look uh, at, at, at the bottom of the page and it'll say, or, or girding up the loins of your mind. Now we look at that and we think, well, I'm glad they translated it the other way because we have no idea what that means. But, but what, what they're talking about is that in Peter's day, in Jesus's day, people, men, they, they wore robes. Um, and when they're relaxing, when they're hanging out with their family, they, they just had these robes hanging. 
But then when they went to work, when they went to battle, they would literally gird up the loins and they would tuck them into this belt that was around them so that it wouldn't hinder them, so it wouldn't get in their way, so that they would be able to work, so that they would be able to fight, so that they would be able to go to battle. And so we're, we're being told here that we must prepare our minds for battle. We must gird up the loins of our mind. We must be ready to do battle because that's the thing. We are in a battle. We're not in a flesh and blood battle. No, we're in a battle with the world for our minds. We're in a battle with the world for our heart. You know, the, the world is saying, look, look at me. Look at the hope that I can offer you. Look at the things that I can, look how great life can be for you. Then God, on the other hand, is saying, that's not right. That's not, that's not the hope that you need. That's not the hope that I have offered you. I haven't offered you the hope of the world. I am offering you the hope of Jesus. And so we must gird up the loins of our mind. We must prepare for battle. We must set our mind on the things of God. We must be sober-minded. We must think rightly, soberly. We can't allow the things of this world to come in and distract us and, and to cloud our judgment. We have to gird up the loins of our mind. We have to think sober-minded. We have to set our hope on the future. That's what he's pointing to here. We are to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's looking to the end of time. He's looking, he's saying, look, Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to bring your inheritance. He's gonna bring the kingdom. You guys are gonna be able to live in this perfect world with Jesus. Set your hope on that. Don't set your hope in the things of this world. Set your hope on that. And don't we all long for that, right? Don't we all long for a perfect world that is sinless, a world with no sickness, a world with no disease, a world with with no death. We long for that. And we know that the people in this world long for that. We're always trying to set up some sort of utopian society, whatever it might be. Now it's technology. You know, we we look to technology. I love technology myself. Uh, But we look to technology as if it's going to be our savior. You know, we just, we bought some new things for our home recently. And, and, and they, work, they work together. They're pretty cool. Uh, it, it automates our home. You know, I can like talk to my TV and it comes on. I can talk to, you know, the thermometer and it turns it up and down. Uh, I, I can turn on music just by talking, you know, and saying, you know, do this and do that. And that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. Um, you know, you can get cameras where you can look at your home, you know, when you're away. We have this, this doorbell and I can pull that up on my phone right now and see what's going on on my front porch. But we look to those things and while they're beneficial and while they're helpful and while they make life easy and while they may keep us a little bit safer, we look to those things as if they're going to save us, as if they're going to make this world, you know, the world that we want, as if it's going to take us back to the Garden of Eden where everything was perfect. That's not going to happen. Technology cannot save this world. Whatever it is, else other than Jesus cannot save this world. It cannot bring us back to this perfect Eden-type world. So we have to realize that. And we have to think rightly about the things of this world. We have to prepare our minds for battle. We cannot allow this world to cloud our judgment if we're going to live holy lives because we're going to be drawn in by those things instead of drawn to God. Third, if we want to live holy lives, 
We must not allow the passions or desires of our former life to shape our present life. Look at what Peter says in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And we'll stop right there for now. Now, Bryson and Camden, they have, you know, these, this Play-Doh set. And with this Play-Doh set came a bunch of different colors of Play-Doh and things like that. But then also came like these you know, plastic uh, molds. And it's like a dinosaur and a fish and, you know, things like that. You know, similar like if you were to take these things to the beach that you might buy and, and build little things with. So, so they, like, they like to get out the Play-Doh and they like to roll it out and it creates this huge mess. And so I don't really like them to do it, but Jen likes them to do it because she thinks it's a really nice thing for them to do and really works on their motor skills and all this stuff. And, and so they, ro- they roll this Play-Doh out and then they take one of those plastic molds and they push it into the Play-Doh. And when they do that, they've, they've got a Play-Doh fish or they've got a Play-Doh dinosaur or something like that, right? That Play-Doh becomes conformed to that mold. And what we're told here is that we are not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. Right? It might be fun for the kids to do that, but when it comes to the way that we live, we are not to conform to our former ignorance, to, to our former passions, to, to how things once were. And that's what we're being reminded of here. We're being reminded that, that as we are a child of God, our life is different. Our passions should be different. You know, what we desire, how we think, what we want, what we love, what we run after, what we find our hope in, these things should be much different now if we call ourselves a believer. And because we are to be holy as God is holy, we're not to allow those things to conform us or to control our life now. We are to live differently. And so we must remember that. We must remember that that we are different than what we once were, that, that we should be different than what we once were. As God's holy children, we are to conform to his holy standard. We are to conform to his word not to our former passions, but to his word. And we are to allow that to guide us. And so if we're going to live holy lives, we must not allow our former way of life, our passions to shape our present. Instead, we must live in the reality of who we truly are. That we are God's children. Next, we learn that if if we're gonna live holy lives, we must recognize that God is a just judge. So look at verse 17 with me. He says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And so here we, we, we learn that, that, that God is a judge. And we learn that he is different than any judge that maybe we have ever had to come before, whether it be for a speeding ticket or, or something else. God is an impartial judge. He doesn't say, man, I really like you. I like what you're wearing today. I like that you donated a lot of money to the police this month. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna let you off a little bit here. You know, God doesn't do that. God is an impartial judge. You know, he gives us what we deserve. And by his nature, he has to do that. God is holy and God is just and God is righteous. And if he becomes a partial judge, that he would cease to be holy and just and righteous. And so by his very nature, 
God must be impartial, which means that, that he doesn't give us a pass. He doesn't say, man, you've been connected to the church your whole life. Uh, it's okay if you don't really believe in Jesus. Come on in. Your family has been big donors to a church. Come on in, right? You, you've been there your entire life. Come on in. Well, we're, not, we're not saved in that way. We don't get a pass because of the things that we have done. No one can do enough in order to earn their salvation. And so when we look at the text and, and we see at kind of midway through, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, that doesn't mean that, that we are saved according to our works. No, what he's saying is that, remember, you, even as a believer, are gonna stand before God. And God is gonna look at your works and he's gonna see, does your works match your faith? This is the test that he is gonna put to our life. We are saved by grace. There is no works-based salvation. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. I want, to hear, want you to hear me clearly there. Nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. But it is our works that show forth our salvation. Right? James talks about this in his letter. In, in James 2, 27, he says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so what he's getting at, what, what Peter is getting at, is that our works show forth our faith. If we have true faith, if we are truly a child of God, we will live according to God's word. Our works will show forth our faith. And so if you're constantly walking around and you're angry, if you are yelling at people, if you're just super hard to get along with, you never show any love, never show any compassion, if you're, if you're racist, if, 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 if people just look at you and like, I don't even want to be around that guy or that girl. Man, your works do not match the faith that you profess. If you cheat and you steal, whether it be at work, something small or little, or whether it be whatever, big, your works do not match the faith that you profess. If you gossip and you're always stirring up strife, then your works do not match the faith that you profess. So we can go on and on and on like that. But I think you get the point. Our works must match the faith that we profess. And the way that we know how God wants us to live and, and how we are to, to to live is, is by reading God's word, is by looking at God's word, is by meditating God's word, is by understanding God's word. And so we aren't saved by our works, but our works must be Christian in nature. They must be godly. They must be set apart. They must be holy because the God who has saved us is holy. And so think about it. What if we were to take a camera and have this camera crew follow you around for a week or a month or a year, and then we were to play back your life, would we see a life whose works matches the faith that you profess? Now, no one's perfect. Every single person sins. Everybody sins. So you're not going to see a perfect life, and I'm not saying that our life needs to be perfect because we still inherit this body of death. We still inherit this body that is sinful. And we're gonna, be, we're gonna be pulled in that direction from time to time. But by and large, 
As you grow in the Christian life, there is a process of sanctification. And so you should grow more and more and more like Christ each and every single year. Now, there's going to be ups and downs and, you know, mountain peaks and valleys and all of that stuff. But, but we should be able to see an upward trend in your life as you're growing to be more and more like Christ. And so our works must match the faith that we pro- profess if we're going to live holy lives. Next, if we want to live holy lives, we must live in our newfound freedom in Christ. So look at the text starting in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or without spot. I mean, look at what the text is telling us. The text is saying, look, your salvation, the salvation that you have didn't come free. You know, it didn't just cost a little bit. It was very costly. It was more costly than silver or gold. It cost Jesus's life. It was so costly. It was the precious blood of Christ. And through his shed blood, we are we are ransomed. We are, we are bought back. We are freed, we are told here, from our former way of life, a way of life that was futile, a way of life that didn't amount to anything at all. We are, we are freed from that. We once lived a life that was empty, once lived a life that was worthless, once lived a life that wasn't accomplishing anything for the kingdom of God. We, we had said oppose God and his world. We didn't want to further his kingdom. We weren't doing what God designed us to do. We weren't accomplishing our purpose in life. But now, now, if you are truly a believer, you have been bought, you have been ransomed away from that life. You've been bought by the precious blood of Christ. He is the one who gives you hope. He is the one who frees you. And so if we're gonna live holy lives, we need to allow the gospel to motivate us. We need to look and we need to see, man, like Jesus died so that I could be free from this type of life, so that I could be a child of God, so that I could experience an inheritance that is greater than anything that I could ever get in this world, so that I can experience his kingdom one day, a perfect kingdom, and the way that God has designed for us to live. Jesus died for that. And so we must meditate on that. We must think on that. And we must live in our newfound freedom in Christ. You see, it's not freedom to do whatever we want. It's freedom to live according to how God wants us to live. And so we don't don't run back to this former way of life. So we run to Jesus. And we recognize that we are free in Jesus. We are free from sin's pull. We are free from Satan. We are free from having to live according to our passions. We can now live according to God's word. And when we do that, things generally, not all the time, things generally go well for us. We're living as God designed. And and even if things externally are not going well, we can have true joy. We can rejoice because of what we have in Christ. And so we need to live in our newfound freedom of Christ. We should not live in the footsteps of our ancestors in a futile way of life. Lastly, we learned that if we're going to live holy lives, 
we must recognize that our salvation is according to God's plan. Recognize that our salvation is according to God's plan. So look back at verse 18. We'll read down to 21, and this will be how are we in tonight. Knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. This is taking us back to verse two, verse three, excuse me, of, of last week. I'm sorry, verse one and two of last week. The idea that we are, we are elect exiles. The idea that, that, that our salvation has been foreknown before the foundations of the world. The idea that, that God has had a plan and that God has worked that plan out. God knew before the world even began that Jesus was gonna come, that Jesus was gonna die, and Jesus was gonna die for you specifically for you. If we're looking and we're saying we are God's elect, we are chosen by God, then we're also saying that Jesus came and he specifically died for you. Every one of you who are a believer in Jesus, God knew before that ever would even happen. And Jesus came and Jesus gave his life. Jesus spilt his precious blood for you so that you might be able to have a relationship with the Father so that you might be ransomed from your futile ways, so that you might not be controlled by the passions of your former way of life, so that you might be able to experience your inheritance in the kingdom to come. Jesus died specifically for you so that that might happen and that you might be able to experience that. And knowing that, knowing that should motivate us. It should motivate us to live holy lives. It should motivate us to not be conformed to our former way of life, but to look to God and say, God, how do you want me to live? To be set apart, to live a life that is pleasing to him, to live a life of worship to him. That's what we're doing when we live in obedience to God. We are worshiping God. And so tonight, as we think about this, we are to live as God set apart people. We are to live as his children. We are to look to our heavenly father who is holy and we are to be holy. And as we do that, we will please God. We will worship God. And those around us will see something different in us. And we will be on mission for God. We will be a person who is calling others to Jesus, not just through our words, but through our life. Because they will see something different in us. They will see a person who is holy and who is set apart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.